I've studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. Words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil, he's a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me they make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You have been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is talk about stamp collecting. Actually, no, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. Usually. But not today. Nope. Today, I'm taking a break from all of that bullshit because I've talked about comics, movies, and or TV shows for... A couple hundred episodes now. And other geeky podcasts are allowed to shift gears and talk about other stuff sometimes, so I figure I am too. And so today, what I want to do is talk about action figures. But not just any action figures, no, no. But before I get into that, which is to say what I really want to talk about, I should say right here that I came of age at a kind of weird time, at least as far as action figures are concerned. See, I was a bit too young to have been the the prime target audience of Star Wars during its first run. Now, don't get me wrong. I remember seeing kids on the playground swing toy lightsabers around, or maybe they'd carry around a this big shoebox full of, I don't know, Return of the Jedi figures or something like that. But for the most part, Star Wars had pretty much come and gone by the time I started up in school. I only missed it by a couple of years, but sometimes those years can really make a difference. Now, this isn't exactly helped by the fact that when I was a kid, I just didn't get Star Wars. I mean, I mean, I, I, I guess I liked Luke a little bit, and even I had to admit that Vader was pretty cool, but mostly Star Wars just didn't make sense to me when I was a kid. Now, yes, that would change, but when I was a kid, I don't know, it was, it was hard to get my mind around it, I guess is what I'm saying. And then as now, I don't patronize geek hobbies that I don't understand. 
So as a result, you could fairly well say that the primary mythological construct of my childhood was the DC universe, and especially Superman. But I was into a few other things as well. G.I. Joe and Transformer, uh, Transformer toys left me a little bit cold. Now, I liked the cartoons... I just didn't give a flying shit about the toys, but I, like I say, I was into the, I was into the, the cartoons. And as it happens, you know, I was, I was too young for Star Wars toys, and honestly, I was also uh, just a bit too young by maybe a year or two for the Superpowers collection. Now, yeah, I had the Superman action figure from that toy line, but not very many other figures besides that one. Don't misunderstand any of this. It's not that I didn't want to collect action figure lines when I was a kid, because I totally did. It's just that most action figure lines kind of left me cold. You know? So, flash forward just a few years, and Tim Burton's Batman movie came out, uh, his first Batman movie came out in the summer of 1989. And part of the big hubbub for that movie was that there's going to be this badass, super special, ultra mega deluxe line of action figures coming from Toy Biz. And right then and there, I had a very bad feeling about this. Back in those days, Kenner and Mattel had a near duopoly on action figures. And so the fact that Batman's toy line was going to be done by Toy Biz, a company that I'd never heard of, didn't exactly sit all that well with me. And as fate would have it, I was right to be skeptical. For starters, the lone major print ad for the toy line, at least at first, was a close-up of what we are led to believe is the Batman figure from that toy line. And it was Obviously, a repaint of the Superpowers Collection Batman as opposed to a completely unique action figure. As it happens, the worst was yet to come. Now, I'd lived my entire life with shitty toy lines about awesome characters or awesome toy lines for shitty characters, so I was very well accustomed to having to compromise here. I was willing to meet Toy Biz halfway on this. And so I decided I'd cut my losses and just get a Batman action figure. But that ended up being rather challenging to do since every toy store in Lubbock, Texas, at least that I knew about, had sold out of Batman action figures. And it got to the point where I was just running out of options. But then I hit upon a novel idea. When my brothers and I had gone to see Batman on opening day, June 23rd, 1989, we'd somehow gotten these little souvenir brochures from a display table that somebody had rigged up in the lobby. And there's a ton of shit listed in there. Including the Toy Biz Batman figures. To this day. I don't know how I talked my old man into this, but... Somehow he loaned me his credit card, me, his eight-year-old son, and allowed me to call the, that little 800 number order line so that I could purchase a Batman action figure 
through mail order, basically, is what it comes down to. The operator said it'd take about six weeks for the action figure to be delivered, and man, she wasn't kidding. But the anticipation did a lot to boost my excitement about finally getting my grubby little hands on what was fast becoming a holy grail of an action figure to me. And as it happens, by the time the action figure finally fucking arrived, school had started back up. That's how long it, uh, I had to wait for that Toy Biz Batman figure to finally arrive. But overall, I think it was worth it. You see, the toy had a pretty good amount of detail to it. Now, people, this was the 80s. Back then, the most you could hope for was a decent paint job. It was pretty rare for an action figure to in any way resemble the the character upon which he's allegedly based. And so for this Batman figure to be as detailed as it was, what with you know, you know, Batman's gauntlets and those metal fuckers on his boot. Well, I was I was happy with that. When it comes to the Joker, less happy. The Joker figure, especially his head, is just damned bulky. Now, don't get me wrong. I liked how the figure came with the hat and the cane. And and I I admired the attempt to give him a squirting flower, but something about this Joker, this Joker figure seemed off to me. And it was right around then that I turned my attention to the rest of the Toy Biz line. And that was the moment that I realized what a sad sack of shit that toy line really was. It had three figures. Three. Batman, the Joker, and Bob the Goon. That's it. Oddly enough, though, I never owned a Bob the Goon action figure, A, because Bob the Goon is a retarded name for an action figure, and B, I just didn't give a shit. I was something akin to content to just have Batman and the Joker. Now, the playsets and the vehicles were slightly better. There was the Batmobile, for one thing. Now, the Batmobile was a almost a decent little toy vehicle. I'll give it that. But just holding the thing, you couldn't you just couldn't escape how cheap the whole thing felt. You know? Very fragile. Plus, somebody's heart just wasn't in this. You know? Because those little pop-away hatches that reveal machine guns in the movie, yeah, they don't pop away in the Toy Biz Batmobile. They pop up. And they don't have machine guns in there. They're missile launchers. It just seemed like somebody involved in this thing... I don't know. It's like they just didn't give a damn or something. And it ultimately got to the point where I didn't give a damn anymore. The fins on the Batmobile were... They were made of such cheap material that the fins snapped off the back of the damn thing. And at that point, there's really no way to fix it. 
And then there's the Batwing. Again, it just felt cheap when you held it in your hands. Like, I guess what I mean is it was a little rickety. Now, it had a set of pinchers at the front of it, you know, sort of like mandibles or something, but no machine guns, no rockets, no nothing. A set of pinchers, and that's it. Finally, in terms of stuff that I actually owned, there was the Batcave. Now, I'll give that playset its due for trying to be something fun to play with, considering how little the Batcave is actually seen in the movie. But... I will admit that yes, it does look kinda, sorta, like the Batcave set from the movie, but it's also got a couple extra features included. Most notably, this kinda S&M looking rack thing for imprisoning the Joker and telling him what a bad boy he's been. Also from the toy line were the Bat Cycle, the Joker Cycle, and the Joker Van. None of which I own because to be honest, I already had a bad taste in my mouth from the stuff that I actually did own. Overall, I believe it'd be fair to say that the Toy Biz Batman line was a crushing disappointment for me. But one mitigating factor in all of that was that Toy Biz also released a, 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 this kind of general line of DC figures. Now, it was nothing to write home about, really, but... It got the job done. The DC Toy Biz line had a few extra Batman characters in it, for example, such as Robin, the Riddler, the Penguin, Two-Face, and Mr. Freeze. So, the comic book version of Robin could ride in the movie version of the Batmobile right next to the movie version of Batman so that they could track down the filmation cartoon version of Mr. Freeze. I can assure you, the cognitive dissonance of all of that affected me not one bit. Plus, other DC heroes were included in that toy biz line too. You know, you had Superman, Green Lantern, The Flash, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and maybe a couple others. Still, I wasn't an idiot. I was very well aware of the fact that most of those figures were duplicates of the old superpowers uh, collection figures very bad duplicates at that. So, like I say, it wasn't perfect, but it was manageable. Still, I couldn't help thinking that if it wasn't for the general DC cast of characters to kind of serve as an expansion pack, the Batman movie figures would have sucked out loud. Apparently, somebody agreed with me because in 1990, the following commercial started airing on TV. There's something new in Gotham City. Wow! It's Batman, like you've never seen him before. Hey, Joker, a battery surprise! Missed me. Time for a change. That disguise won't work, Joker. No, try this. So long, Batman. That's it. Wings out. Fire! You've got great new weapons, Batman. But I don't run out of tricks. Batman, the Dark Knight Collection. Batman like you've never seen him before. Each sold separately. It was actually my brother who clued me in that he saw the, the commercial on TV. Now, I gotta admit that at first, I just didn't believe him. 
And that's because my brother was infamous for spinning bullshit stories to me all the time. But then I saw the commercial for myself, and right away, you just can't escape how awesome those figures look. And how cool those little gadgets they have are. And then the fucking bat jet. And so forth. So, if you want to view Kenner's Dark Knight collection as something... As somebody in the in the marketing department desperately trying to get things right well I think you'd be very well justified so I think it'd be fair to say that the Dark Knight collection was everything that the Toy Biz line should have been but wasn't and you know looking at the at, at the Dark Knight collection now and I and I speak here at least for the moment just of the figures right this sort of began a a, a sort of a a trend with with Batman figures where you'd have a sort of generic Batman figure to work with and then you'd have just a shit ton of variants on that and at the time what I what I kind of have to admit is that these these uh, Dark Knight collection figures are actually, you know what, for the most part, kind of interesting and very welcome figures. You know, because there's Crime Attack Batman, which I guess if 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 you need a sort of generic movie version of uh, of Batman, well, there you go. But the one, the Batman figure in this line that really caught my interest was Iron Winch Batman. Now, like I say, he's basically a sculpt of the movie version of Batman. But he's, he's colored gray and blue. Just like the comics. And so right away, that was a priority figure for me to own. And then, there was also Wall Scaler Batman, which is basically uh, this sort of two-tone color Batman. It, it's blue, and so his cowl, his trunks, gloves, boots, and, and cape are this sort of darker shade of blue, whereas the bodysuit is this kind of softer shade of blue, you know, kind of more of like a powder blue, and it's just a really fucking cool-looking figure, you know, and those were, you have to understand, I mean, it sounds bad whenever I say that those were the only two that I owned, you know, from the Dark Knight collection, not counting the Joker, but you, you guys, you have to understand that these figures weren't around for a terribly long time before they got choked off the rack, so I pretty much, I, I tried to make hay while, while I could, but guys, there's a reason that the, the first wave of figures is the biggest, you know, somebody at Kenner knew what they were up against. And so they tried to get as much shit out there as, I, as they possibly could. But one of the really awesome things that came out of this was Sky Escape Joker. Really the only Joker figure from the first wave of figures. And apart from having this sort of helicopter jetpack looking thing that you could stick on his back, which guys, let's face it, that's the kind of thing that the Joker would have. No, he didn't have anything like that in the movie. But that's the kind of thing that he would have, you know, so it felt honest to me. But not only did he have that, not only did he have that, that foot-long revolver, 
but if you stuck the the uh, figure's head into cold water, his face would turn from that sort of chalk white to more of a flesh color. And then you could get it back to normal by dipping his uh, by dipping his head into just warm water. How fucking obvious was that? And yet it never occurred to Toy Biz to release a flesh-colored Joker, or for that matter, that uh, a version of the Joker from whenever he invaded the museum and he was wearing kind of a tuxedo, and then he had that fucked-up hat. I never figured out what to call it, but that sort of French artiste hat. You know, he was wearing that, and he's got the flesh the flesh-colored makeup going and all that stuff, and it's like it never occurred to anybody at Toy Biz to release a figure like that. Why? You know? And I can't help but think that the Dark Knight collection, had this been released in 1989, there would have been a couple of different waves of, of figures where you'd have, like I say, the museum joke, where he's got the flesh-colored makeup. And then you'd have battle-damaged uh, Batwing. And you, hell, you'd probably have battle-damaged Batman, where you had the, the torn-up cape, and then, you know, all the cuts and shit on his face. I mean, he was pretty chewed up by the end of the movie. And, you know, maybe you'd have a Belfry playset, you know, for Batman and Vicky to swing off from and all of that. And none of that shit ever happened. And, you know, even when I was a kid, it seemed kind of logical to me to have something like that. And people, I firmly believe, hand on heart, Kenner would have done something like that if they'd had the time, you know? And honestly, the output that they have for the Dark Knight collection, I think is actually pretty good, considering the amount of time they didn't have to develop a lot of these figures. And I can't help thinking that's really the reason why there's so much dependence on kind of variants on Batman in, in, in this lineup because they didn't really have time to do anything except maybe cobble together a couple of unique gadgets and then do some custom paint jobs and boom, there's your line of, of figures right there. So I cut Kenner a lot of slack on this. So anyway, I think that's basically it as far as the uh, Dark Knight. Well, you know what? Maybe not. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, no. There's actually one other thing related to the Dark Knight collection that actually I, I do kind of want to talk about. Actually, now that I think about it, two other things. I had a couple of, of vehicles from, from this line. And I guess just to kind of go through them sequentially, there was the Batcopter... The Bat Cycle, the Bat Jet, and the Batmobile. Now, I'm going to start with the Batmobile first because, to me, guys, look, it needs to be understood that I was so fucking disappointed with the Toy Biz Batmobile. To me, you really had nowhere to go but up. And man, this Kenner Batmobile, that's up. First off, it's actually got a canopy to it, you know? That little, I don't know, like the ceiling of the fucking car. Instead of being a, a car that 
that has uh, no ceiling to it whatsoever, like the Toy Biz Batmobile. This actually looks, number one, it just looks more like the movie Batmobile, but number two, it's actually got the ceiling, uh, the ceiling to it, the canopy, whatever you want to call it. And so, now, true, the canopy doesn't slide forward like it does in the movie, it sort of pops up, but again, number one, there may not have been just a really feasible way to have the canopy slide forward the way it does in the movie. And number two, even if there was a, a feasible way of doing that, guys, Kenner had, like, no lead time on this whatsoever. So, like I say, I'm willing to cut him a lot of slack. Number one, like I say, the canopy. But number two, the those little hatches that I was talking about earlier, they actually do, ha they actually do have machine guns. Now, they don't pop off the way they do in the movie, which, to be honest, I think that's maybe the better way to go. Instead, they kind of swivel, you know, they rotate. You press the hatch down, and up pops the machine gun. Then you press the machine gun down, and then that, the regular hatch comes back. To me, that's definitely the smarter way to go. And on top of all of that, Kenner had, they, they'd set it up so that you would push those little vents on the back of the, uh, of the Batmobile, you'd push those down, and then out would pop this sort of plastic flame from, the exhaust port of the Batmobile, and it really looked kind of, sort of, like real flame in a way, maybe, you know? Like I said, it was cool, and that's what matters. But on top of all of that, Kenner also had this little feature where you'd push down on the ridge of the, uh, uh, of the Batmobile, this little ridge on the hood, and that little turbine-looking thing would just pop out, you know, like a missile. It would just pop out, and it would be kind of a projectile. Now, I doubt Batman would blast somebody with the turbine of his car, because then how the hell is he going to drive? But it's the idea and the imagination behind it all that I really appreciate. It just played for me. And it looked more like the movie Batmobile, and it was... It just felt like there was more attention to detail being paid here than anything that we saw from the Toy Biz line. But on top of all of that, somebody from Kenner decided, you know what, we need a dividend. We need to go the extra mile and do, I, I don't know, it's, it's like there's a time-honored tradition here among these toy manufacturers of creating all sorts of toys and figures and vehicles and playsets and all this other bullshit that didn't really exist in the movie, but I think you could reasonably extrapolate in the movie, right? For instance, the bat side. Now, there was nothing like that, really in any of the Tim Burton Batman movies, there was nothing at all like a bat cycle, but it somehow seemed of a piece, you know, with all the other bat-themed bullshit that this guy owns, why wouldn't he also create a bat cycle, you know? To me, that just felt honest with the material. And this is not to speak of the fact that even back then, I was a big fan of the Adam West TV show, and they had bat accessories for friggin' everything. So why wouldn't they have bat accessories for a motorcycle, you know? It made sense. Batcopter... Same logic. The only thing that seemed a little bit hard to believe, at least to me, 
was the bat jet and the reason for that is because this guy already has the bat wing why would he need the bat jet but fuck it it's cool that's what matters and one of the things that the dark that uh, Kenner's Dark Knight collection kind of put in perspective at least for me was that when you're when you're adapting a line of toys based on movies when you're creating a line of toys based on a movie you need to give kids the the same shit that they saw in the movie and you need to give kids all the shit that they didn't see in the movie you know and this idea of only producing stuff that is seen in the movie guys you know what? That may work for something like Star Wars, which has so fucking many things in it already anyway that you probably don't need to create original stuff, you know, just for the toy line. But for Batman, and I would say a lot of comic book uh, characters be being made into movies, yeah, you, you kind of do need to expand on your imagination a little bit. And why this is so offensive to some people, I have really no idea, but... I don't know. Well, well, I guess what I'm saying is that stuff works for me. Now, there were other uh, vehicles and, 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 and play sets and whatnot that I didn't own. There, uh, there was the, let's see, there was the Batwing from the Dark Knight collection, which unfortunately, I, I mean, I wanted it, never got a chance to own it. There was the Bola Bullet, the Joker cycle, which looked kind of cool. It's the sort of chopper looking motorcycle thing. Jokerized, of course. There was the Skyblade, and then there was the Strike Wing. And, like I say, none of that shit was actually in the movie. But somehow, it's like that just doesn't matter because it looks cool. And that's what's important, you know? So, I don't know. Everything about this toy line, including the packaging, by the way, it just screamed of somebody at Kenner taking their job a lot more seriously than anybody from Toy Biz did. Because if you look at the Dark Knight co uh, Collection uh, packaging, it just looks cool. You know, it's got all of these kind of different gradient effects with the colors. You, you go from, from black to blue to purple to red to this kind of brown color to sort of right back to black. It's got those gradient effects. It's it's just it's fucking cool to look at. It's got these sort of watercolor looking paintings of Michael Keaton as Batman and Jack Nicholson as the Joker. And again, they just look fucking awesome. Whereas the Toy Biz uh, packaging, it was just this kind of garish gold color and there's no real design to it. It just says Batman in block letters, but there's no real design to it, you know, and it just especially in retrospect, but even at the time, it just seemed really fucking cheap of Toy Biz to do it that way. Whereas Kenner, they spent a decent amount of money designing and then printing this stuff. You know, somebody wanted kids to be excited when they looked at this stuff. They wanted kids to understand this is going to be quality stuff that you're getting. Now, one of the most common gripes about the Dark Knight collection, you know, contemporaneously and God knows to this day is the lack of articulation that a lot of characters have. Basically, this was the standard five point articulation. You know, you had articulation in the shoulders, 
He had articulation in the hips. He had articulation in the neck. Five points of articulation. That's all. Now, number one, like I say, Kenner didn't have a ton of lead time on this. Number two, I think they kind of made up for this in other ways, like I say, with the amount of variety, with the high quality of, you know, the packaging, the high quality of uh, the manufacturing they did just putting this shit together, the imagination behind it all. But guys, the other thing here is that I personally have never been a, a real big fan of those overly articulated action figures. You know, where this figure's got 256 points of articulation. This thing is so fucking complicated, you're never going to be able to pose it on your bookshelf. You know, I mean, look, any idiot can pose these Kenner figures, these Kenner Dark Knight Batman uh, figures on his shelf, you know? But you need a, a degree in advanced fucking engineering to pose a lot of newer figures that have like shit tons of articulation on them on your bookshelf. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a pain in the fucking balls, you know, say whatever you want about these figures. I'll take the simplicity any day of the week and twice on Sunday. So anyway, now, like I say, the dark Knight collection as a toy line didn't really hang around all that long because it ended up getting choked off the shelf by Batman Returns tie-in figures. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a Lulu, so I'm going to ask you guys to just indulge me. All right? Basically, it goes like this. When I was a kid, it's not that I was stupid. Actually, you know what? Let me rephrase that. It's not that I was any stupider than anybody else. I happen to think I was kind of an idiot kid, but I wasn't any stupider than anybody else. My problem was, I don't know, like lack of motivation or laziness or something. I don't know. But it's just when I was a kid, if something didn't have a personal interest to me in some way, I didn't give a damn. And so when it came to school... I don't know. I I would I I guess the maybe the best way to put it would be I would try only as hard as was necessary to pass the class and that was it. And so that didn't exactly sit right with my mom. So during the summer of 1992, which is to say the summer between my 5th and 6th grade years, my mom sent me to summer school. Now, I don't know how many of you have the experience of going to summer school as a child, but the, the way I, I, I can best categorize it is it's almost like theft, you know? The way I viewed it was my summer was being stolen from me. Because somebody out there wasn't impressed with, I don't know, I guess my view of school. Like, by whatever fucking standard they had, I wasn't taking things seriously enough. And so, it's not that I failed math, 
my fifth grade year, I didn't. I just didn't do as well as somebody thought I should. I'm basically trying to find a way here to not talk shit about my own mother, guys. Again, she wasn't trying to be mean. She was really trying to help me. She loved me. I love her. It's not like there's any kind of problem here. I'm just... I just kind of feel like this was a bad move, you know? Anyway, so... My mom, I guess, on some level, kind of understood what she was asking. Because she said, look... You're going to go to summer school. There's no two ways about that. But here's the thing. Once you finish, I'll hook you up with some Batman Returns figures. What do you say? So I reluctantly agreed to go to summer school. Now, I really wish the experience had been more positive than it was. I mean, I met a couple of interesting people when I was in summer school, one of whom, by the way, I shit you not, her name truly was Jessica Jones. And man, this girl was gorgeous. She was fine. Now, she was a complete bitch, don't get me wrong. I mean, she treated everybody like they were dog shit, but when you got away from her personality a little bit, yeah, she was hot stuff. So, seeing her every morning, not so bad. And one of the other kind of neat things I, I, about that summer in general, I one time ranted about that about that summer because of this horrible, horrible, horrible vacation we took to Colorado, and I shall not repeat it here. If you're desperate to hear that, go back and listen to my uh, Batman Returns episode, because uh, I talk at length about it there. But one of the things that, that happened this summer, obviously, was Batman Returns. Now, it took me a long time, I'll admit, to get my head around Batman Returns, but at the end of the day, it was a new Batman movie. He was driving around in the Batmobile. He, you know, he beat up a lot of people in the movie. And from my standpoint, it was just fun, you know? Maybe not as much fun as I would have liked, but it was still fun. And one of the things that came out of Batman Returns, obviously, was the toy line. Now... One of the toys that I made a, a point of picking up as quickly as I could was, let's see, this was Crime Attack Batman. I believe there was a Crime Attack Batman in um, the uh, Dark Knight collection, but that's not the Crime Attack Batman that I owned. The Crime Attack Batman that I owned came from the Batman Returns line. They're basically the same figure, you understand. They just come in different packaging, that's all. Now, excuse me while I have a drag off of my e-cig here.
Mm. So, <clears throat> Crime Attack Batman. That was what I set my sights on, at least to start. Now, unfortunately, that was the only Batman Returns figure that I had in my collection for... See, I want to say quite a while there, but I, probably what that actually works out to is several weeks, maybe even a couple of months. After which, summer school came to an end, and my mom somewhat made good on her promise. Basically, I got... I don't want to say I got snookered, but my mom... The way that she described it was a virtual shitload of Batman Returns action figures. Which to me means at least three, right? What I in fact got were two figures. And she said, you can get two, so make them count. Well, Batman Returns as a movie featured the big screen debut of two major characters. The Penguin and Catwoman. So what do you want to bet those were the two that I chose to get figures of on that particular day? Pretty good. Now, in the case of Catwoman, my reason, my reasoning should be pretty self-evident. To wit, Catwoman and Batman Returns is smoking hot. So, there's that to think about. But you would be well within your rights to question just why in the holy fuck I would have wanted the Penguin action figure, considering that I had the Penguin from uh, from the uh, Toy Biz line. And really, I honestly don't have a very good answer to that, except, number one, I'm a little bit of a completist. I wanted both of them. But number two... That is a really cool paint job that they had for the Batman Returns Penguin. Because the the Toy Biz Penguin is... That was itself, based on the Superpowers uh, collection uh, Penguin figure, right down to the same fucking paint job. They are virtually indistinguishable from each other, Right? The same would be true of the Batman Returns Penguin, except for the paint job. Instead of being uh, blue, white, and yellow, this Penguin is wearing a black, white, and red tux, and he's got a black, white, and red umbrella. And so, there's that. Now, I think a, a reasonable person just might ask, why is it that this Penguin action figure looks nothing at all like the penguin shown in the movie. And there are two... <clears throat> excuse me. There are two competing explanations for that. Number one, these toy companies have virtually no lead time when they make these figures. And so what they decided to do was just kind of play it safe and re-release their own Superpowers Collection uh, penguin with a different paint job. The alternative explanation, and this is the one that I actually believe in, I should, uh, I, should, uh, I should say here. The alternative explanation that I find more persuasive is 
Kenner took one look at the penguin design for Batman Returns, freaked the fuck out, and made the executive decision of re-releasing the Superpowers Collection figure, and if somebody from Warner Brothers didn't like that, they can fuck off and die in a fire. Because my guess is somebody at Kenner didn't want to have to release a toy figure that had black shit just leaking out of his mouth. And I'm not praising that artistic decision that Tim Burton made in the movie of having black shit ooze out of Penguin's mouth. I'm not praising that decision. And I am not criticizing that decision. I'm simply saying he made that decision. And I think somebody from the toy, uh, uh, the toy company decided we are not going to do that toy. And fuck you if you don't like it. Because the Catwoman figure looks more or less like Catwoman in the movie. There was a Robin figure based on... Based on basically designs that... For what there would have been in the movie, a, a sort of Robin type of character was going to be in the movie, and ultimately that never happened. So instead, they just colored him to look basically like Tim Drake in the comics and called it a day. Well, the toy company had more than enough lead time, apparently, to do a Catwoman figure justice and a Robin figure justice, but what, there wasn't enough time to do the Penguin justice? Please. No, I think somebody decided they wanted to have nothing to do with that. So, they re-released the... In effect, they basically repackaged the Superpowers Collection Penguin and called it a day. But anyway... Those were the two figures that I, that I bought, or rather I had my mom buy for me. Those were the two that I picked out, the Penguin and Catwoman. Now, I must say, this is one of those times when I can't help but think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity here, as far as variants are concerned, because I don't think there are any variants for Catwoman and the Penguin in in the entire Batman Returns line. I think basically you have the Penguin and Catwoman, and that's it. You have those two figures, but there are no variants for them. And in the case of the Penguin, that should be kind of self-explanatory. Kenner clearly didn't want to have the Danny DeVito Penguin anywhere in their toy line. And for Catwoman, the prejudice that a lot of toy companies had is that female action figures just don't sell very well. Now, there's a lot of marketing data and other shit that supports that. I'm not commenting on that. I'm just saying that was their rationale. But there is a battle-damaged version of Catwoman in the movie where her costume is basically falling apart and, you know, her hair is sticking out and going all over the place and all that stuff. At one point, she even takes her mask off. And all of those might have been kind of neat ideas for action figures. But if you go with the idea that, number one, these toys cost a fortune to produce. And number two, the female figures tend not to sell very well. I think I can understand why those figures were never created. So, again, I'm not agreeing with or disagreeing with those marketing decisions, I'm just saying that's what was happening at that time. So, take it or leave it. So, 
Christmas of 1992 rolls around, and without question, this was my Batman Returns Christmas, right? Because I got a shitload of Batman Returns-related uh, figures and vehicles and playsets and whatnot. So, I guess to take it from the top, there was Air Attack Batman, where... Basically, you could think of this as being sort of like camo Batman. It's basically Batman, and he's got sort of camo accents on on his outfit, which, whatever, cool, I guess. There was Arctic Batman. And again, whatever, it's, a, it's basically a black and white Batman, and he's got the sort of white bat accentuated armor. So, again, cool, I guess. There was also, let's see here. There was, oh yes, oh God, yes, yes. This one actually is my favorite. Laser Batman. Now it's basically a gray bodysuit with, I guess, black trim, you know? Black cowl, black cape, black gloves, black trunks, black boots gray bodysuit, black everything else. And this, honestly, this is, this character was close, or rather this figure was closest to the way that I thought Batman's costume was supposed to be interpreted by the reader, you know? I got into this quite a bit. Let me think. It was either my episode about Detective Comics number 627 or it was my episode about Detective Comics number 27 to 38. I forget which, but basically I made the argument that Bob Kane and Bill Finger created Batman with basically the assumption that the character's outfit is completely black. And that's how readers were supposed to interpret it. But they didn't want the character to look like a black blob on the page, and so they gave him purple gloves and a gray bodysuit. And then the black parts of the uh, of the outfit, they kind of gave sort of blue highlights. But basically, we weren't supposed to take those the the coloring decisions made in the comic book. We weren't supposed to take those literally. We were supposed to assume that yes, this character's outfit is completely black. And a lot of people have argued, well, actually, it's supposed to be gray and black and all of that stuff. Look, I don't know. But what I can say is, Laser Batman, from the Batman Returns line, at least as far as coloring is concerned, is a lot closer to, to what I personally believe. We're supposed to infer Batman looked in his earliest appearances in Detective Comics number 27 to, I don't know, sometime, I guess, in the 40s. And then, of course, there came a point when, instead of having a, you know, black trim to his costume that had blue highlights, instead, the, the trim was just blue. So he had a gray and blue outfit as opposed to a gray and black outfit. Well, Laser Batman, I kind of thought of that as sort of a, a return to maybe what Batman's outfit was originally intended to be, but somehow got lost along the way. The other thing, though, is that the outfit has this strange texture to it. It's the sort of grid pattern over the gray parts of 
of the bodysuit, right? And one of the things that I like about comics is that you can have these incredibly neat concepts and, you know, you can have characters flying around in outer space and doing all this crazy shit, and it just looks cool. But I think there's a degree, especially prior to the 2000s, where there were textures and, I don't know, accessories and, and whatnot that are implied on these comic book characters' outfits that are just not on the printed page. They're implied, but they're not necessarily explicit on the printed page. And you could view this sort of grid pattern on Laser Batman as, again, a kind of, uh, sort of an attempt to remedy all of that, you know? And basically put some kind of texture on this character's outfit. And on that basis, it plays for me. I really, like to this day, I really love Laser Batman. I think that's a, just a cool figure. It's a cool idea for a Batman figure. And it, it was a, a character that I was very happy to, it, it was a, sorry, it was a figure that I was very happy to get uh, for Christmas. Other stuff that I got for Christmas, and I want to be uh, <laughs> a little careful how I say this because it's it's easy for people to get offended. Put it that way. But I got the the Batcave, and again we're talking about the the Kenner Batman Returns line Batcave playset. Now. As far as I know, nobody's come right out and said so, but what I think is going on with this playset is that it was originally intended to, to be included with the Dark Knight collection, and for whatever reason, time just didn't allow for it to be manufactured you know, in time for release with the Dark Knight Collection line of figures, right? There's nothing explicit that I can point to and say, this is my proof. But what I can say is that this seems like a very... It just seems very 1989 Batman to me, right? And for those of you who don't know, it's basically a double-sided playset, right? It's a trifold, and so you f you fold out all three sections. One side is the entrance to Wayne Manor, and then the next two flaps, I guess, are the Batcave. There's the exit from the Batcave that the Batmobile would drive through in the center, and then. On the far left, there's the sort of know, crime console. Uh, it's got the back computer, and then it's also got that huge vault, inside of which is stored the Batman outfit. And it's basically just the texture of the Batman outfit, like machined on to the plastic, right? So it's not like it's removable. And the idea is that. Um, you can put the Bruce Wayne figure inside of the vault, standing in front of the Batman suit, shut the door, flip the switch, open the vault back up, and then 
there's Batman standing right there. And, of course, it's really just a Batman figure that you put on the other side, and you're... It's basically like stage magic, I guess. So... And we didn't see the Batman suit inside of a vault, inside of Batman Returns. In fact, what we saw was this huge row of Batman suits on hangers just sitting in the Batcave. But we did see the Batman suit hanging inside of a vault in the 1989 Batman movie. So there's that. Now the other side of the of the uh, of the Batcave playset was sort of, I guess. Partially, it's the interior of Wayne Manor. And, of course, you open up the grandfather clock, and then that's what leads you into the Batcave. Now, we never actually saw the entrance to the Batcave in Batman 1989. So, this seems like somebody's basically pilfering an idea from the comics and using that for their movie thing, which is fine. But we did see the entrance to the Batcave, again, in Batman Returns, and it has nothing to do with the grandfather clock. To me, though, most damning, as far as this thing probably having been originally intended for the Dark Knight collection, but then released with the released with the, uh, the Batman Returns line of toys, is this is supposed to be the Penguin's Arctic hideout on the third flap on the reverse side. And it just looks nothing at all like the Arctic World Zoo that the Penguin used as a, as a hideout in Batman Returns. This looks more like the Chemical Factory from Batman 1989. And it's got this coat of paint to it where it kind of looks sort of, you know, wintry and snowy and Arctic and whatnot. But you could easily imagine this is actually the Chemical Factory. just with a different coat of paint is really what it comes down to. So, like I say, my suspicion is that this Batcave was intended to be released with the Dark Knight collection, but time or money or whatever wouldn't allow for it. But Kenner had spent all of this money and time developing the damn thing, so they're going to release it come hell or high water. And again, I'm not criticizing anybody. I would do the same thing. I'm just saying that even when I was a kid and I was looking at this, this just seemed nothing at all like anything from Batman Returns. But parts of this look like it could have been taken directly out of Batman 1989. And so until I see, you know, corroboration someplace else that this no this truly was intended for batman returns i'm going to assume that i'm right about all of this so i don't know i guess we'll just have to wait and see now unfortunately i didn't really own all that many vehicles from in fact i didn't own really any vehicles from the uh from the batman returns line of of uh, toys and Uh, there's really not a good reason for that. It's just, I guess, luck of the draw. I didn't really... There really wasn't an opportunity uh, to get any of that stuff. So, I mean, I would have been open to the idea. What I really had my eye on, of all things, 
was the Bruce Wayne custom coupe, which included a Bruce Wayne uh, figure. And basically what you do is you put Bruce Wayne in the car, you hit the switch, Bruce Wayne vanishes, and now Batman's driving the car. And I remember thinking, like, even at the time that this thing came out, number one, that's a really cool idea for a, uh, a, a, a toy toy car vehicle thing, you know, tie-in for this Batman Returns uh, toy line. But it also looked kind of... For those of you who are into cars, do you remember the, the 19... The, the, the Honda Prelude from 1992 to 1996, I think that was like the third generation or fourth generation uh, Honda Prelude. For sure, from 1992 to 1996. That's what the custom coupe kind of reminded me of, especially the front end. The back end, not so much, but the front end, it, it just reminded me of the uh, of that Honda Prelude. and. I always kind of liked the way that Honda Prelude looked, so that much I was actually okay with. So, like I say, though, that was the thing that I really wanted, and for whatever reason, it just it never happened. Now, they had two different Batmobiles that uh, tied, or actually three, depending on how you look at it, Batmobiles that tied in with Batman Returns, and again, I didn't own these either. There was basically a repackaging of the Batmobile from the Dark Knight collection that I already did own. There was a camo version of that same Batmobile. So they were definitely milking that Batmobile. They knew they had a good product on their hands and damn it, they were they wanted every last dime. But there was also the the Bat Missile version of the Batmobile where the sides would basically pop off and then you had the the Bat Missile right there kind of as the center section, you know. And I don't know. I mean, it, I guess I I wanted that that bat missile, but it wasn't I guess what I'm saying is it wasn't a major priority. Does that make sense? This wasn't something that I that I was going to make a a huge stink out of getting or not getting or anything like that. It would have been nice to have it, but it what I remember is that every time the subject seemed to come up, there was always something else that I needed to get as far as toys or what have you. And this just, I don't know, my opportunity to just kind of, it, it just, it got away from me. Put it that way. The other thing that I kind of wanted, but it just, I could never get this, I could never get it together was the Bat Ski Boat. Now, partly it was, I didn't completely understand, you know, what else the bat ski boat could be used for, you know, in the context of a Batman story. You know, I, I could imagine, I mean, I, I could relate to why Batman used it in Batman Returns, but anything other than that, I don't know, I just had a hard time getting my head around it. Plus, the, the fact of the matter is, The Bat Ski Boat cost a fair amount more, I guess as far as like retail prices are concerned. It cost a fair amount more than other things that were on the that were on the shelf at the time and it was just it was a tougher sell, you know. It was tougher to to make the argument, I guess, you know. So, like a Batmobile, it's like people don't mind spending that much money on it. 
a bad ski boat? What the fuck is that? I don't know, and I'm not buying it, you know? So, anyway, but, um, actually, and you know what, now that I think about it, there actually, there is one other figure that I got that I kind of forgot to mention. Also, for Christmas of 1992, I got from my aunt the quick change Bruce Wayne figure, which is basically Bruce Wayne, who looks obviously a lot like Michael Keaton. And you can, he's wearing basically a black outfit already, so you can, you, you can stick on a, 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 a chest piece, a cowl that has a cape attached, a pair of gloves and a pair of boots, and boom, there's Batman for you, Chief. Now, I'll give Kenner credit for trying. That's a kind of tough thing to... It's a tough thing to do, you know? To have a have an action figure that can put on clothes and not have it look all big and bulky and unwieldy and everything. I get that, you know? They tried, and I think they succeeded about as well as anybody could. They tried their best, and honestly, the final product isn't even really all that bad. It's just not as... It's not as successful as it would be if they tried doing this rather than with a three and a half inch figure. If they'd done like a six inch figure or a 12 inch statue or something like that, I think they probably could have gotten away with, they probably could have gotten away with it a little bit better. It's just the figure's too small, I think, to do what they were trying to do successfully. So hopefully that all makes sense. And as it happens, that was basically the end of me as a Batman toy collector. Um, beginning with Batman Forever, it's not that I—it's not that I'd given up toys. It's just that I had to be a little choosier about toys because I just had a—I had a smaller bedroom at, uh, by that point. I'd moved bedrooms because my brother had moved out, which meant I got to move into his old bedroom and move all my stuff in there and there was just overall less space you know so definitely that was one problem right there the other thing was that the batman forever figures just i don't know why but that's about the time and maybe it's the influence of todd mcfarlane you know i really don't know but that's about the time that toys started changing and rather than being the sort of uniform three and a half inch action figures which is a tradition that had been started by Star Wars toy manufacturers had started experimenting with action figures of different scales and so what you'd see are you know four inch five inch six inch and so forth action figures and It just, the way that I would best think of it is, it, it was as though, I guess the entire philosophy of action figures and toys and whatnot had kind of evolved beyond my sensibilities. And this is not to speak of the fact that I was 14 years old, and I just wasn't as interested in, in playing with toys and having big battles and whatnot as I, as I was back when I was 11. So, you know, there was that to think about. But, like I say, I mean, I, I don't want this to sound like sour grapes, but I mean, I truly do feel like 
the toys themselves kind of took a downward turn. Or at, or at least they had become something that I just didn't really relate to. Maybe that's it. So, I don't know. It just it was tougher for me to get my head around those Batman Forever figures. And so as a result, the only Batman Forever figure that I had was that it's kind of the equivalent of the of the Bruce Wayne figure that I was just talking about. It's the quick change Bruce Wayne where you put a uh, you basically put Batman's suit on a Bruce Wayne figure. But by that point, Kenner had kind of figured out a, a neat little way of making that concept better. So I didn't know that at the time that I bought the figure, mind you. I just anyway. So like I say, that was really the only Batman Forever figure that that I owned. You know, no Robin, no Two-Face, no Riddler, no nothing. So I can't really comment too much on those toy lines. <clears throat> now excuse me while I take a sip off of my Coke here. As to Batman and Robin, I ended up buying, believe it or not, I ended up buying uh, two figures from Batman and Robin, uh, the toy line, Batman and Robin, and those two figures were Batman and Robin. And actually, you know what, no, that, now that I think about it, that's actually not true. Actually, there was another figure, but I'll come back to that in just a minute. For right now, the Batman figure that I owned was Hover Attack Batman, and then as for Robin, that was Iceboard Robin. And I liked both figures. I thought they were sort of cool. At the time, I see, I've never really had the same view of Batman and Robin as most other people. It took me a while to kind of get Batman and Robin, but it would be fair to say that I do enjoy the movie certainly a lot more than, than most other people do, but at that time, it just, I didn't really I didn't get it, you know, but I kind of liked uh, these uh, Batman and Robin toys, and at least, these action figures. And so, I started my very first job during the summer of 1997. I was a, uh, I was a grocery sacker at Albertsons, for those of you who are familiar with Albertsons, the chain of supermarkets. So, and they... As strange as it may seem these days, they did have a toy aisle. And some of the toys they had, obviously, Hover Attack, Batman, and Iceboard Robin. And so one night, finished up work, and I said, you know what, fuck it. I'm buying those figures. So, and if anyone else, if they don't like it, well, fuck them. As it turns out, there, no one really saw me buying these figures. So I didn't have to, I guess I, I mean, I wasn't worried about, you know, losing cred with my colleagues or anything, but it's not like that was much of a uh, risk anyway. The, um, the cashier who rang me out, I kind of had this bond money penny thing going with her where she was a couple of years older than me, but I don't know what happens, but sometimes in life it's like you meet somebody and... I don't know. It's 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 there between you two, you know? 
like this, I don't know, it's like chemistry or something, you know? You feel it, and she feels it, and honestly, other people are noticing it's going on. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a strange thing that happens sometimes. Now, the reason I never actually went for it, I mean, I was having a, a major dry spell at the time, so it actually, it kind of, it, it would have been welcome. But the reason I never went for it is that, yeah, you know, she and I, there is chemistry, sure, but it's sometimes it, you don't have to get to know somebody. You know, you already know that the two of you, yeah, maybe you've got decent chemistry with one another, but there is nothing here to sustain a long-term relationship, you know? And you know what? Maybe as a 17-year-old, or actually, shit, I wasn't even, I was 16 at that point. Maybe as a 16-year-old, that isn't necessarily where my head should have been. Notwithstanding, she just seemed so completely different from me that I didn't see the point of pursuing this. But, you know, looking back at it, I mean, I would have had bragging rights from here to Christmas because of the fact that, you know, she was, like, at least two or three years older than I was, and so, you know, hitting that, and how cool might that have been, but... Whatever, I think it all worked out for the best. But anyway, the whole reason I even mention it is because of the fact that she was the one that rang me out. And she gave me this smile as she was as she was ringing me out that... Not in... Uh, uh, she didn't mean it like... I guess in a bad way of, ooh, you're buying toys. You know, she was just smiling, you know, in a way that, you know, she gets it in the same way that I get it. And... I don't know. So, like I say, Bond and Money Penny. It nothing ever really came of it, as with Bond and Money Penny. So that's why I use the comparison. But I'm, I don't know. Just it's it's one of those things that you look back on and you can't help but think. I don't know. Might something have happened there had I pursued it? Well, I don't know. And it's not like it matters very much. I mean, I, I seriously doubt Stephanie is even listening to this. So, you know, whatever. But uh, it's, it's just, it's one of those things that you look back on and it's just, it's a weird, fucked up, but at the same time, kind of nice memory. So anyway, whatever. And so the third figure that I got was Ice Blast Mr. Freeze. And there's really not a whole lot to say about really any of these figures, aside from the fact that I think they look cool. Say whatever you want about the movie. The, the... What small experience I've had with the line of toys, I think they were actually all right. So that's certainly, I would, I, in fact, you know what? I'd go so far as to say they definitely are a step up from the toy biz line. Now, the logical retort to that might be, well, yeah, because Batman and Robin was supposed to be more toyetic and stuff. <laughs> so, and you know what? Fuck it. That may even be true, but end of the day, the toys are just more interesting to me from Batman and Robin than they are Batman 1989. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. And I think that's just about it. So I guess as far as, you know, other Batman figures are concerned, I mean, you know, the Batman figures from the Chris Nolan movies never really interested me, mostly because there's just so little diversity to them. 
you know, it's like, which maniac in a business suit do you want to collect next? You know, I mean, I, get, I don't, I don't get that. So, you know, whatever. But this is pretty much the end of the line as far as me collecting Batman figures. It's just really, I guess, anything post-1992 or to some degree 1997. I don't know. It's it's as, it's it's like it's just beyond uh, evolved beyond my sensibilities, and I don't really, I don't really connect, I guess, to Batman toys as well as I used to. And it could be that maybe I just don't connect to Batman as well as I used to. I mean, it it, it really is tough to say, but. Either way, I'm. this really is kind of the end of me as a Batman toy collector, for those of you who are interested. And I think that's basically the end of my story as well. So, as to next week, I'm actually kind of trying to leave myself a little bit of room to manipulate here. So, I'm not completely sure what I'm going to talk about next week, but I'm sure it's going to be awesome. So, as it is right now, though, I think that's pretty much it for me. So, bye, everybody. I will see you next week. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spalway, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their backroll year one work, Brian Q. Miller on his backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the backroll spoiled the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. When you think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord. Darkness to light. 
is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out Dorkness to Light blogspot.com for our more regular content or darkness to light.tumblr.com for our more irregular content memes and puns mostly my bad darkness to light often irreverent rarely sacrilegious Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, 
hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>